Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember him only as hip as my guest. And I have to give a uh, shout out to a friend of my family on Facebook, a guy I went to college with named Chris Vacari. And it was funny because I was a sophomore and he was a freshman, but he was much older than us, like three or four years older. And he was a big pot smoker. And, and I'm not a big pot smoker. And I remember him sitting there. And if I did smoke pot, it was like that New Jersey pot that was just like the weakest stuff ever. And he brought something, I swear to God, and I don't know if it was laced, but I took like two bong hits and I went back to my room and I just curled up in a fetal position and I thought I was going to die. And he sat there and just laughed at me. And we called him cowboy for a reason because he always wore a cowboy hat and he was loud. And he, I mean, he was from New Jersey, which there's not a lot of cowboys in New Jersey, but I still remember that. And he found me on Facebook and I sent him a message. I said, damn you. I said, that was probably in 1984. <laughs> and I still remember you got, I didn't smoke pot forever because I thought I would freak out again. Anyway, nothing about that. Uh, we have a great show today. Uh, this gentleman, I actually saw uh, a past guest, Bernadette Pauly, and her husband, Al Ducharme, was at, uh, I believe it was his New Year's party or a Christmas party or some party. Fourth of July. Fourth of July. Okay, and they put a picture up of him at the party, and they said, you know this guy from uh, from True Detective? And uh, so, I, of course, I, I looked him up, and I, I had to hit him up, because you know me, people. When I see someone, I'm like, oh, wait, he's on TV, and this, I always hit those people up. But I got him, and it's Brad Carter. How you doing, Brad? How you doing, buddy? Good, man. It's uh, I, You know, it's funny. I know you originally, uh, you were born in Texas but you grew up in Georgia, right? That's right. And now you still you still have some of the accent, but but it's it's not it's it's I mean, it's not overly done. I mean, how long have you been out in LA? I've been here uh 12 this January will be my 12th year. Okay. In LA. And I was born in Fort Worth, Texas just because my dad was going to seminary school there and then but they're from Georgia and so I just ran, you know, just Happened to be born while he was in college there, and then they moved back to Georgia. So I always claim I'm from Georgia. Well, Georgia is Georgia's so nice. I mean, you know, the people are just nicer. I mean, it's so funny how you, I grew up back east, and I used to notice when I, when I did stand up on the road, you would drive down 95. And the, the people, if you're not familiar, a lot of these roads have toll booths or you just encompass people. Everyone was nicer as you got down south. Like, you, even, like everyone was nicer. So, I mean, it must have been great growing up because it was probably a very pleasant place to grow up. I think so. As compared to here, you know, it was a, it was really a culture shock for me when I moved here. And just uh, people in general, just, um, I mean, there, there are definitely nice people in L.A. And, I mean, and you fi- I find them every day. But right. I, was, I was also, I mean, I think it's a problem that there's so many people... <laughs> There's just so many people here that a, a lot of people are not nice. So you kind of, if you're not careful, you can just focus on who's not nice right. or who's an asshole or, or I'm sorry, I can't cuss probably. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, you can. <laughs> sorry. Um, but uh, you know what I mean? Like, so I, so I just try to focus on um, uh, seeking out the good rather than focusing on the bad. Which is which is which is what I did for a, about my first year out here. I was like, "Oh, this sucks." Well, I, I think a lot of times there's so much negativity, and you see it on Facebook, you see everything, and, and even like when working in restaurants, you know, it's like, and you you can probably test this growing up down south. And when I would go back east, you know, the service at restaurants was great, you know, because there's people. Yeah. Some of them were that was their job, and they made good money, and they and these older women were great servers. I mean, you go in and they'd explain everything, right? And then there's young college kids who are working through college, everything was great. But you get out here, and the same. Thing Thing. You go to a restaurant and there's some arrogant waiter and you're sitting there and I was a waiter and I was always nice. And yeah. you sit there and you go, you know, what, what is it? You know, just be right. nicer. There's a sense of entitlement here that I don't really experience anywhere else in America. Right. <laughs> um, uh, I live in Studio City and, and just sometimes walking through even the farmer's market is like, who the hell do you think you are? Like, re- I mean, it, it's, re- it's really strange to me just the bubble that. LA, LAites live in uh, and when you get out of it you know and you go or I go back home to Georgia or whatever I'm like oh yeah this is what regular people are like you know so you, you grew up in Georgia now now you're you you do music you act you know yeah. you, you were you went to school for sculpturing I believe you got MFA or you went for that how what 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 age did you know you wanted to be creative? I mean, were your was your family creative, or how did you get into this whole process of this career? My dad was a Methodist minister, and um, he would put me in his sermons a lot, or he just have me get up and do little shows at the church when I was a young kid. And I think that's what kind of started me liking 
um, just sort of that extra hug from a stranger, you know, when you got, you can just do no wrong when you're the preacher's kid. And so everybody's clapping for you. And, right. you know, that's, that's seductive. Right. And, um, I, but, but I did, I never knew that I would be an actor or a performer. I always secretly wanted to be one, but I didn't know how to go about doing that. There was no internet. There was no, nothing, there was really nothing to steer you where to go. How do those people get on screen? How do those people get, uh, on that movie screen or on that TV screen, how did they get there? I didn't know. I didn't understand it, and uh, there was no one really to steer me that way. So I, I was very creative as a child and uh, did a lot of art and a lot of painting. My parents always uh, were very supportive of that, and so I went to art school instead. As as a young child? At, no, as a, as a, for college. Okay. When I graduated, and so um, was like, you know, well, I don't know what to do. I kind of had that freak out in the eleventh, twelfth grade of I don't know what to do. I don't want to go to more school. I didn't know that there was. I see. I didn't realize I, there was nobody to tell me that there was a school for what you want to go do. I just thought it was more math and more bullshit that I don't want to do. See, I think that happens a lot too. I mean, because yeah. I, I grew up, and, you know, my brother went to a fashion school in New York City, so we knew that when you grow up close to a bigger city and an East Coast city, you know that. But when you're, you know, a lot of times you sit there and go in Georgia, if you're sitting there going, okay. Uh, yeah, I want to be an artist. You're probably thinking, well, you know, I can go to the university and I got to study business because almost everyone goes to the university and studies business or whatever. Yeah, that was it. Was really stressful for me because I was all I only saw school. I already hated school and only saw it as a, 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 more of a trap. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. So I think my parents were at a loss of what to do with me, and I was kind of at a loss. I secretly wanted to be either a rock star or a actor and i didn't know how to do it i played guitar since the eighth grade okay so you started in the eighth grade yeah huh? and but so you know secretly you know i'm jimmy page in my mind and i'm gonna go out and and but i didn't know how to do that i just lived in us you know in in the country and uh, you know far out from the city and making georgia on farmland and i just didn't understand how to go do either one of those things so <laughs> my dad was like i went to community oh by the way i went to community college for two years and hated that and i was like i don't i don't know what to do and my dad's like, well, you can draw, you're, you're artistic, why don't, we, why don't you go down to Valdosta State University? And I had some friends going there. And even then, you know, they had a good art program, but it's not like when you say Valdosta State University, anybody knows what the hell you're talking right. about. Right, I know a lot of colleges, and I, I looked at it, I had to look it up, I was like, wait a yeah. second, I hadn't really heard of it, because I went to a small school in New Jersey called, now it's Richard Stockton. I, when I went, it was called Stockton State. Now, my girlfriend just drove by there when she was visiting back east, and it went from us, it was in the middle of Pine Barrens, it was 5,600 students, now they have like a, uh, they have like a, a Krispy Kreme and all this crap on the, on the, on the but all on the campus. I go, yeah. when we had the campus, we had the meal plan. Right, me you, too. You went, and, and once they stopped, you like on weekends we would take our backpacks in and we would because they load brunch up. and dinner. We would load up for yeah. yeah. So that's but so, so your college was like mine, a smaller right. school. Spoiled bastards. Now they I know it's crazy. It I know it's I, like they. Have, I look at it. It's like they have these new student centers. They have fast food. I'm like, we had to drive. We had to get off. I mean, it's I mean, it's Dude, good for them. I went back and they have a Chick Fil A on my campus really now. yeah <laughs> man what i've yeah. been there every day um so that's what i did i went down there to school and only because i literally had no other i i, I it's not like I, I i literally had two friends that went there so i went there okay and i got an art degree and um uh you know ha had i known that there were places like you know if i if you want to go do art then you go to scad you know um uh, which is in Savannah, Georgia. That everybody knows SCAD that's in the art world. I mean, if but if you want to nobody told me there's like there's Juilliard or there's these amazing schools where you can go study the craft of acting. I just right. didn't know how you do that. I did a few plays. I did some I did a in college some you did drama. Some plays? I did in 12th grade I did some drama. Uh, I had a drama class and and I had a, a very uh, a very an instrumental person in my life, John Jones, was uh, my drama teacher, and he's still a good friend of mine today. And every year since then, since I graduated, he would say, "I think you can go be an actor. I think you can do it." You know, but it took it only it took me literally all of my twenties to ball up and and make that jump. So I didn't move, I didn't move here until I was twenty nine. Okay, so you you graduated college, right? As with a degree in art. Yeah, I got a BFA in fine art, uh, or I excelled in uh, painting, oils, and um, uh, bronze sculpture, um, bronze casting, uh, any kind of sculpture really, uh, and that was kind of my forte. And then I kept living, at, so I graduated, and then I kept living in the college town because then because now what do you do? I didn't. It's I didn't really go there to seek out a an art degree. I just went, and so 
I think that's the problem when people go and they, they get these degrees, at least in my case, you don't have a passion for it, you know, so I, I was good at it, but it wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go be an artist. I'm going to go to New York and be a, this amazing artist. I just, I kind of secretly still wanted to be a performer and I started playing in bars and uh, in bands as, uh, in bands and as a duo and then also by myself, I just started playing the circuit there in town, a college town. And the trap in that is, you know, just like Wooderson says on, uh, Dazed and confused, Matthew McConaughey's character. You know, I I, I get older; they right. stay the same age, <laughs> and it's true. You know, it's it's very seductive for a while because now you're the you're the guitarist playing in these bars, and you know, even though it's small time as small time can be, you're a rock star in those towns. You're, you're yeah, you're a big deal, and and you know, chicks start falling all out of the woodwork on you. Like whereas before, if you'd have walked in, you couldn't have got laid. Now they're come up to you. It's a whole different ball game. And I was like, oh, I like this. Right, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can't. I mean, it's, yeah. it's true, though, because it's a college town. And, you know, and it's, the old thing is all the college, you know, face it, the college girls, they don't want a guy that's taking a class with them. They want a guy, like, because you're, you're, you're in a band. You play solo. Right. They, they're like, oh, we want that. Right. That's um, seductive, and that's interesting, and that's, you know, that bad boy element a little bit. And so... Um, that, but it was it was bad for me because I did a lot of drinking. I did a lot, of, you know. I, I because the other thing is everyone wants to be your best friend when you're the guitarist, so everyone's giving you drinks constantly, oh, yeah. and you know they're offering you other things, drug, all, every drug possible. But I, I never did drugs. But um, uh, I, I promised my grandmother I would never do drugs, and I kept that promise to her. And thankfully, because everybody was trying to shove something, you know, right inside me, and but shots of liquor man that was my downfall i would i would get hammered just like four or five times a week because i was out playing all the time and yeah but it, and it's a southern thing too where you don't like somebody gives you a drink you have to take you, it you don't want to yeah be I, rude. I did i did a show in newport <laughs> news virginia one time and i was doing a bit about tequila when i did stand up and i was headlining this club and i didn't headline a lot of clubs and they sent me a shot and i had to take it right but then once it's monkey see monkey do the next thing you know yeah. I'm wasted. And finally, the next night, I said to the club owner, I said, do me a favor. Make it look like tequila. I right. Can't, yeah, I yeah, can't, yeah. I can't drink it. I can't do my act. I said, you saw me. They go, yeah, but there was only nine people in the audience. You did an hour. I go, because I would just have my notes out and I was babbling. I didn't care. I said, I don't want to perform like that. And it, it does. It gets to you because a lot of times you want to, I mean, after the show, you can do whatever you want. But a lot of times you want to perform sober. Right, that no, absolutely. I mean, uh, I was the worst when I would be drunk. You know, I, I'll do stand up once in a while still, and um, I'll have a beer, uh, one beer before I go on, and that's okay for me. But if I get more in me, then it just gets sloppy. Hey, because you don't, you don't, you don't remember your bits. You don't, you don't, not any food. So, so you're, you're 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 drinking too much. You're in this college town. Yeah, you're sort of a rock star, but not at the level you you want. I mean, because in, in that town, you're a rock star. Yeah, it's small. It's very. Uh, medium-sized fish in a small town okay and then um I, I you know just had all these jobs i was a waiter at three different places at one time and i was uh, i mean i was literally getting paid 35 dollars a gig which you know in in some of the bars that was like big money 35 bucks but and you know i thought i was a big deal once i got it up to like a hundred dollars right. every time i play like i was oh i'm but the, the thing is i was also renting a house there for 500 dollars, a two-bedroom house right you know so, the cost of living is way less oh yeah it's here. amazing i mean yeah it's yeah so i got by on the minimum and did that for a number of years and uh you know and had jobs i mean i had all kind of jobs man like day jobs just the worst and it was one of those things where my parents were kind of like, what's he going to do? You know, we're worried about him, you know. And, and I, sort of, I sort of woke up, too. I was like, you know, I got I to gotta do something. I, got, I have to get out of here. This is a black hole. And so I don't want to be like there was this old guy, Jim, that, you know, with, with a big slash top hat, and he used to play at all the bars. I'm like, I don't want to become Jim. Right. I don't want to be that guy. He was cool when I was, you know, when you were in college. When I was eighteen, yeah. Now it's, yeah, it's like now you're like, no, it's like I used to say there used to be a lot of cover bands in New Jersey, and it was like you sit there and you go, you know, and you'd be like, wait a second, that guy's like, this is when I was like thirty. It's like that guy's like forty five, and they're they're playing, you know, that same old song and they're dressed like Lover Boy. Oh you know? yeah, and you go, you have to be something else. And it was like, you know, how much how much more can I play Brown Eyed Girl before I want to stab myself in the right. heart? 
And uh, I actually used to have on my tip drawer, I would say, it was, was I had a, a note down there that said Brown Eyed Girl or, um, what's the other one people like? Brown Eyed Girl. Uh, there's a, there's one other. Uh, yeah, I know. It'll come you know, all us. your yeah. standards right. that you hate. And I was just like, bye five, bye, five bye, dollars. Bye, bye, Yeah, five dollars. No, I would never do that one. Okay. It was too long. Okay. Five dollar minimum, though, to play that one. And uh, and one other one, I can't remember what it was, but it was another Van Morrison or some something awful. And I, oh no, Jimmy Buffett, that's what it was. Margaritaville. A- anything okay. Margaritaville? Yeah, right, I was right. like, no, no effing way. <laughs> am I doing Margaritaville for less than five bucks? So uh, that was my life for a long time, and I was secretly still wanting to perform. And I went down and I I I, uh, I went to an audition, ran, just out of the blue. I was like, okay, I got to do something. Uh, Orlando is nearby. I, I want to go down there and maybe I'll get a job at one of the parks there. That's all I knew of entertainment. Okay. And, and you know, I had been. So you're really blind. You're a baby. Bl- totally you're a blind. In the woods. Absolutely. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go down there. And um, I called their hotline and they said, oh, we have an audition coming up on such and such. And it was like in the summer, and which is really hot down there in Georgia and really sweaty. And I didn't have an air conditioner in my car. It was broke. And it was just one of those like six hour, five hour, five six hour trips that's just from hell, right? You know, right. And, I, and and I literally I went down there. Um, I thought I had been to the I had been to Disney before and I'd seen people perform on the streets. And I thought, well, I'll just get a job doing that. I'll play guitar like Steve Martin did in Knott's Berry Farm. You know, he played banjo, and I'm like, right. and I'll do something like that. I'm I'm kind of funny, I think. And I, I was at that point sort of thinking about trying to do a little stand up. I didn't know how to get into that either. And so I wrote this horrible monologue of these uh, terrible impressions that I thought I could do, which I'm sure were just awful. Stuff like (laughs) stuff that was relevant at the time, like people from the real world and Jerry Seinfeld and and things like that. And I was like, what if all these people lived in in the in the real world house? That's what it was. So it was like Frank Sinatra and all these things that I thought I could do. And I'm sure it was just god-awful. And I went down with my guitar, and I walked in after traveling that long, and there were all these people lined up, and they were all, like, they knew what they were doing. And they were going in there, and I heard, I kept hearing, like, operatic singing and piano coming out of this room. And I was just like, what the, you know, what is this? And it finally got down to me after a couple hours, and I went in, and there was this guy, um a very particular sort of guy, you know, entertainment, you know, one of those guys right, right. that's just his shit don't stink. And, uh, and he had two women sitting on either side of him. I guess they were his minions and a guy at the piano. And I, and he's, and he just took one look at me and he goes, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, hi, you know, and I had this, um, I had this folder. It was a folder like I didn't know what a resume was, right. I, but I, I literally inside was like um, it was like a binder, and I had a picture, a black and white picture that my girlfriend had taken, and we had, we went to college and developed it, and because we knew how to do that, and it's like me making different faces, and <laughs> not a headshot at all, and then um, and then it was like my resume was literally like I worked at the corner store in 1992. I was a clerk. I worked at the county seat. I worked at uh, construction. Like that was my right. resume. I didn't know. I just thought because yeah, yeah, you don't know. Oh my god! And I and this guy, he says, "Okay, well, what do you?" I mean, it was just obvious. He's like, "What are you gonna do?" I said, "Well, I'm gonna do a little comedy for you, a little monologue that I wrote and." Um, he goes, do you have a song? And I go, no, but I have my guitar. I can play you anything you'd, you'd like. And uh, he goes, um, okay, well, let's see what you got. And I got literally 30 seconds into it. And he, and he did the, it was just like on TV. He was like, thank you. Don't, he said, don't call us. Oh, man. It was so, one of those things. So that must have been sucked. Like 30 seconds into it. And, and my heart broke. And I said, do, do you want me to play guitar? Do, is that all? And um and it turns out, I mean, I was very, I was heartbroken, man. I can't tell you because just the balls that took me just to get up, just to go down and do right. that blindly, it was a lot for me. And I, I was like, um, it was just so shattering. And then it turns out it was a um, Beauty and the Beast audition. <laughs> <laughs> You're like so off the 
So, <laughs> so even though he was a rude asshole, I, I kind of I get it now. Like, what the fuck is it? But the girl that on the on the hotline set me up, you know, because I I told her I'm like I this is what I do. I think I can come down and do some performing. And she told me she's like, well, our next audition is on this date. Right. She, so you she didn't, didn't know. tell me it was a Beauty and the Beast. So I mean, good. I mean, that drive home was so long. So you, uh, you you got home. You must have been crushed. So, so then, what do you do? You, you're probably saying crushed, man. You're probably saying the hell with this entertainment stuff. They're all <laughs> assholes. So so what do you do? So I went. So I did the next best thing, which was I went and there was this fledgling park called um, Wild Adventures Theme Park on the outskirts of Valdosta, Georgia, and it started out a petting zoo, and some rich guy just had a bunch of money. And was like, I'll get some animals and. And then he expanded it to like fair rides, and then it was like sort of like a glorified fair that you know got bigger and bigger and bigger. Now it's got, it's like an attraction there now. It's a it's a pretty big thing. But um, at that time it was still kind of podunk, and they had some podunk shows. And I went and auditioned to be on one of their shows and just do whatever I could. Not even not even in one of their shows. I just said, hey, I'm an entertainer. I just walked in there. I was like, hey, I'm I think I could entertain. What do you want me to do? And I think he had me dress up like a clown or something, like up at the front or something awful, you know, just to start with. But even, but I worked there for, um, I worked there for a good year and um, did everything in the park. Like it's one of those parks where they literally everything's made out of wood, everything's heavy. OSHA, right. OSHA is not a word right. there. <laughs> There's no union or protection. So like literally, like you're stepping on nails through your boot as you build the set you're going to perform on. And it was one of those things where I I did it for a year and then I had to get out of there. I was I was gonna lose my mind there. But it got me started. There was a guy there named Tony that used to dance um, with Bob Fosse, <laughs> like in New York, like in, in Curse of the Spider Woman and, all, and these kind of shows. And he was this older guy and and he had the, and he loved animals and he was. Uh, he was this old, old, much older gay man, and literally, his, and he used to dance with Fosse on Broadway. And now he's sticking his arm, you know, up to his shoulder in elephant asses right. and things. <laughs> it was just really, it was, and, and and so you got this guy that's that's pulling out dung and stuff, and then he's giving you entertainment advice. It was crazy. Uh, but he, I remember he said, um, you know, you could go to L.A. and. S- Think about it this way. Somebody's got to get the parts. Why not you? And that's really, for all the negative that I got out of um, Wild Adventures, because it was, it was kind of a negative time for me, I, that was a great piece of advice, and I did do that. So with him and Mr. Jones still telling me I think he could, could, could go do it. You just got him a good I, I, um, the, the, the last part of that puzzle was I, um, I had been like a radio host for a minute. Like I got fired from a, like a lot of different jobs because I was drunk all the time. I was because when you're on when you're on the radio, you have to be you know on at six a.m. as the morning guys, and then but you've but I've played until two or three in the morning, and I'm taking shots all night. And so then I got to turn around and get up and, and go to this thing. So I'd still be kind of drunk when I'd get in there. Right. Got a DUI. Got, I mean, I had a, it was a rough time and. The, the last part of that puzzle was I was kind of sitting in my little teeny tiny horrible apartment and uh, I saw this, this show called Headliners and Legends and it was about Phil Hartman and his wife had killed him you know, right. a couple of years earlier, which was devastating to me because I loved Phil Hartman. And there was, this whole, there was this whole thing where he had this whole life as an adult, as a he was not a performer. I don't know if you know this about him, but he was not a performer. He was a sales, I believe. He, no, he was a, um, a graphic designer, and he had been a lot of things. He had been like a roadie. He had done like band covers. He had he had this whole other life and successful life. He owned his own house, and he someone took him to a Groundling show here in you know whatever year, and he was like, "Oh, this looks fun. I think I'd like to try it." And he was twenty seven. And I was 27 when I saw that, and so it just pinged me just right where I was like, holy shit, i got to get out of here. I'm going to rot in this town. I'm going to be Jim if I don't watch out, so i got to get out of here. And that was the catalyst. It took me um, it took me a year and a half to save up $1,200 on what I was getting paid. And I came, so I came here January 03, and I was 29. Now, where did you move to? 
I moved to North Hollywood. Okay, which it was lower rent back then. It was all. It was not good. Uh, the street I was on, um, Riverton, was very. It was a. There's a. There's a Riverton and Magnolia. There's a park right around there, isn't there? There, uh, a little further, a little further down, Tahunga. Tahunga has that park, but this was right there. There was a. It's called Blues Bong Shop. Was at the end of it. I've driven by. It. I know. Yeah. Okay. So it was potholes. There was couches out there. Bums sleeping on them. You know, graffiti everywhere. There was gang activity right there. And there was, uh, and on my street, you know, I would, I would walk down and, you know, and it was at that time, really mainly only Mexicans ever walking on my street. And I'd say, hi, how are, you know, on my way to the grocery store and they weren't having it, man. They were like, what the fuck, you know, what the fuck are you right. hiring me for? Like, it was just really surreal to me. It was strange coming from where I came from to that sort of a situation. And it took me a, a while to acclimate to hear and 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 plus i thought oh everywhere in la must be like this this sucks I, I literally drove straight here to that apartment right and didn't know anything outside of it so i'm like going to all the worst stores and I, plus i'm going the wrong way i'm going towards van eyes i'm going yeah and i'm not going, towards burbank i'm going to the stores where like the the target everything is is on a chain right in target it's always funny because I, I live in burbank and i always used to notice and they fix it now though but it was true like you go i would go to haha to do a guest set or whatever and you notice when you're driving down magnolia even till just like two year and a half ago you would drive and as soon as you get out of burbank north hollywood on magnolia you're right it's like a big pothole it's like you're just yeah. having salt magnolia's beautiful it's Bur beautiful burbank and then yeah and, it, and and now you drive over there. I took my sister over there last year to show where I used to live. I had not been in that area, really. Uh, and there's bars over there. There's like, you know, yeah, it's, there's, it's hip there's a movie theater. The street I lived on is really nice. Like, I was like, what the hell? You know, I'm good for them. But I was like, my, she's like, this isn't bad. What are you talking like, about? I was like, you know, you don't know. So you you moved into Hollywood. So you, you figure I'm going to get into it. So what do you do? I know I know you've written jokes and stuff. Did you start doing stand up or how did you? What did you do when you first got out here? I got here and I <laughs> immediately went through all my money. You know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't. I, uh, I was living in a loft and I didn't. I didn't get along with the girl that was living downstairs, and she was very loud at 6 a.m., so I moved into the closet. So I literally was sleeping in a closet uh, just to get away from sound. And that I lived there for a while, for, for um, three, 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 three years, three or four years. And um, during that time, it took me about nine months before I could actually save up to go to this place I had heard of called Groundlings. Okay. You know, that was my, that was my one benchmark for why I came. I'm going to go to Groundlings. I don't know anything about it. I don't have any improv skills, any acting experience, nothing. So I, but I, I was like, I'm going to go. And I, it took me that long to save up, you know, doing jobs I'd find on Craigslist and doing extra work. I did a lot of extra work. Which is a thank, is such a thankless job, and I'm glad I did extra work though because it taught me how how I want to treat people when I am right. Which which now I'm in the position to you know be kind to them and it means something to them, which is a weird place for me to be in. You know, like oh that it makes their day that I'm nice to them and treat them like a person. Right. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's true. And uh, I mean, granted, uh, all extras are not created equal. There are some. There are some crazy ones, but um, you know, there, I also know there's people like me that were just there because they needed some money, but they were wanted to be a serious actor. And so I'm glad I did. I think really all actors should have to go be an extra, <laughs> just as a, as a rule. Right. You should have to start by being an extra and and learning what that's like, so that you can always appreciate whatever comes after that. And I actually had a I had a I had a moment because I got. Because you get yelled at as an extra, and you get you get kind of treated like a prop a lot of times. And I was on a show called American Dreams, it was the very first uh, thing I was ever an extra on, and it's on Gow on Gower Street at Gower Gower Studios. Right, and I was uh, on a part of the lot, and I just got bitched out by the director. Just and he called me. He, he said, "Boys and girls," and he was yelling at all. So I was like, "Motherfucker, I'm I'm a 29 year old man. Like, you know, just tell me what you want." And I, I remember it was just so demeaning. And I, I was like, what have I done? I can't believe I've moved here. It was one of those days where I was right. like, I can't believe I've done this. What am, What was I thinking? I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm so stupid for having done this. And seven years, al almost to the day, um, I was guest starring on Dexter and meeting Michael C. Hall on that exact spot. 
That's where crazy. I had gotten yelled at seven years earlier, you know. And it's little moments like that where you stand, stand back and you go, oh, man. Uh, I Because ha- when you're an actor, it's hard. Year, years go by and it's hard to kind of see where you are. You know what I mean? Like wh- where you are in your career. It's, it's, it just gets kind of blurry. And it was really nice to be able to step back and have that moment of, oh, yeah. Right. I almost quit on this day and went home because and now, this guy was so mean to me. And it was on that very spot. That, and that's what was so awesome about it. I was like, wow, now I'm going to be on you know one of the hottest shows on TV working with the star. And that was a really just cathartic moment for me. You know, like, okay, I have done the right thing. So, so you did that, and then did you get? To, did you enjoy the Groundlings when you got to the Groundlings? I got to the Groundlings, and I sucked ass. I was bad. I I was not a good improver. I've um, I'm a good improver now, as far as like on the set, improving in the moment. But the improv games, I was not good at. And there was so much pressure. Like there was, and everybody there is so good, and they've known that they want to be. A groundling forever or they know that or they've been doing improv somewhere else and i had never done it and so I, I was just so far out of my league and um i gave it a good try i tried i gave it a good try for two years until they kicked me out <laughs> i got kicked out just because you didn't make a cut okay, yeah I just, one uh, there was one year i had gone i had finally got through level two and to get to level three you have to wait uh, there was a long waiting list, and so to ne- to weed it down, they had a process where you had to come on stage and get judged by three judges and work with these people that you didn't know, and it was really stressful for me. I got up, and I bombed horrifically. It was terrible, and but I, that safety net wasn't there. You know, in in class, at least you know everybody, right? And you feel safer. But it was it was so harsh, man. And uh, I remember Mindy Sterling was one of the judges, and she's been on my show. Uh, and she's she, I'm, very I'm nice. Sure, she's very nice. And then um, you know, I guess they had to do it. It was part of the thing. But there was this, this one guy named Mitch Silpa, and there was another guy named Patrick Bristow. And I'm assuming that Patrick Bristow wrote my, you know, my summary, my kickout summary, because you had to call and. You had to call, and some girl at the office that doesn't know you reads you this horrible, scathing review of how bad you are. And I'm, I can only assume Patrick Bristow wrote it. Um, and, you know, so embarrassing for somebody, a stranger, to read you these terrible things about you. And then right. anyway, as she's crushing your spirit. Exactly. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And so then I was just like, man, I mean, I cried. I didn't know what to do because that's why I had come, you know. But the good thing was uh, in that time – I had, you know, started other things. I had, I had, uh, you know, started writing for sketch sketch shows with Ann Beats, who was an original writer on Saturday Night Live uh, in the seventies, and kind of learned how to write sketches uh, and um, put on some shows with her. And then she got me into writing some things, and so I wound up writing for uh, uh, Edie McClurg and um, uh, oh God, who else? Oh, I'm 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 drawing a blank. Um, uh, um, uh, I don't worry about it. So no, 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 no. This is important because my memory sucks, and I want to figure out who this. It was. Uh, um, oh my God, Best in Show. The you know the funny, Eugene Levy. No, not Eugene. Uh, the fun. The fun, one of the announcers on Best in Show. Uh, Fred Willard. Fred Willard. God, what's wrong with me? Fred Willard. Yes, the amazing Fred Willard. And um, a, a bunch of people like that. And I wrote some things for uh, a radio thing that. Um, uh, Alan Thicke was doing and they were all on there and so I just wound up writing some sketches and it was great you know kind of, and, and to have that validation from these people you know I mean yeah, after after you got crapped on by the guy from the yeah. groundlings then you have Willard who's a legend and so is Edie McClurg yeah. they're both big big people and Alan Thicke I mean I, I never realized how I mean people kind of look at him like he's cheesy I guess now but I he's mean, a great talent the guy wrote songs he wrote songs you know he wrote good times oh, yeah he wrote he, he wrote the facts he, of life he wrote uh, the no, good, no not, different not good times Diff- uh, different yeah. strokes yeah he wrote all those um, what's the other one uh, deluxe apartment in the sky the Jeffersons the J wrote that right isn't that crazy? Oh, yeah, he did that, and he had a talk show for a while, Thick of the Night. And yeah. He, and he was he was just people, because people saw him as the father in the sitcom, sort of people, you know, but that's, of course you're going to do it. You're going to take that job, because it's, yeah. Yeah, here's a ton of money. Yeah. Of course I'm going to do that. And and it's funny, because once in a while, every blue moon, I'll get an email from him, you know, inviting me to some random thing after not hearing from him for right. years. And it's always just kind of, oh, it's a nice email to get. So you're getting, you're getting these writing gigs. 
And now, now, when do you start to concentrate on acting? I, during that time, I finally, I, I wanted to, there's so many people in LA that are, that know it all and they don't know it all. And they want to tell, like everybody wants to tell you what to go do. And so I was just really like, I'm going to wait till I meet somebody that I really respect and then I'm going to go do what they do. And I was working at, uh, I got a job at Universal in my first year here at the theme park and I was doing Spider-Man Rocks uh, musical and I was doing the pre-show like comedy beforehand. And and I had I had no I was not a comedian before, but I just I kind of understood how to work an audience and learned on the fly, and that turned into um, uh, uh, what was the show with Joe Rogan? Um, the Man Show. Eating the bugs. Oh, Fear Factor. Fear Factor. Um, Fear, uh, Fear Factor Live. My memory sucks today. Uh, brain surgery. That's all. That's always my my, my memory always sucks. <laughs> that's always my joke. Brain yeah. surgery. Um, so. Yeah, so I was doing improv up there for I, w- I worked there for eight years or five no five years, and during which gave me money in my pocket, which was great. And during that time, I started a, an acting class with Christina Chauncey, and she's the only acting coach I've ever had. And uh, it was just a cold read class, but it, I mean it taught me a lot, and I learned how to act. On, you know, while I was there, because it wasn't necessarily an acting class; it was a, a how to go in an audition and do well class. Right. And but but the good thing was it was on camera, and so you had to watch yourself back with everybody else. And man, there's nothing. I mean, nothing will whip your ass into shape like being embarrassed in front of your peers. Your peers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was learning. Uh, it, it took me a while, but I finally got the hang of it. And. I've uh, been with her ever since, and that you know, I've been with her like ten years or something. You know, I want to ask you because uh, I, I want to talk about the guitar playing and yeah. the, the brain surgery, and, and I want to talk about uh, True Detective right now because I'm a big fan. How did that come about? And did you know who was in it when you auditioned? Because as an actor, it must, and you're Southern, so it must. And you mentioned McConaughey early. I mean, as an actor to audition for something, you must be a little intimidated because both of those guys are amazing actors. I mean, how, how did you? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean. Here's the thing, you get, you know, by that time I've had a lot of auditions and I've done a lot of TV, you know, I've done a lot of TV. Right. You, start, you start out with little co-stars and you work your way up and, and my whole my whole thing was I had a talk with my my acting coach a long time ago and I said, look, I, I don't have a resume, I don't have anything to offer, nobody knows who I am, you know, I think, you know, if just watching these shows, it looks to me like there's a lot of co-star opportunity for just bad guys, for, you know, scumbags, for things like that. And I said, I want to just focus on those things. And I want to be, you know, and Hollywood seems to think that if you're Southern, you're either a meth addict or a dealer or a racist, uh, something terrible. This is really my this is my view of what Hollywood thinks of us, you know, or right. we all, or we all talk like we're on driving Miss Daisy or something. And I said, you know, I don't want to play stereotypes. That was my first stance. But then after a while, I was like, okay, I'm never going to work unless I play this game. So I started looking at it like um like a like a math problem, and I was like how do I get in here? Well, okay, if that's what Hollywood wants me to be, then I'm going to be the best redneck that I can be. I know them. I grew up around them. I'm going to be the best one that you've ever seen. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to be the best killer, bad guy, awful person I can be. And that's what, that was my plan. I'm going to just get, that's how I thought I would get my Which foot Which is the door. fine because, you know, it's a matter of, guess what? It's, it's like step away from your ego. If I go out for an audition, it says, Weird, bald, whatever. Sure. I said there go. Well, you know, that's what I am. Yeah, you're not I, going not in gonna, for Brad Pitt. Roles. Yeah, I'm not going out right. for you know. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not going out for the leading man. And when uh, that's the thing, but you said earlier about this town, the entitlement. A lot of people think they're too good for that. It's that's like right. I'm sorry. If, if you're fat, you're going out for a role of someone who's fat. That's right. You're not going out as you know as someone thin. And so you at least you <laughs> pigeonhole it and said this is what I'm going to go as. That's right. And I often talk to. I mean, when I talk to, it's a funny thing too. When you start getting some success, other actors want to. I hate this phrase pick your brain they they'll, right. they'll send you these random sudden emails from some asshole you never hardly met maybe you met him one time at a party or something or, or you may not even know him or he's just an acquaintance and you'll or you'll get a facebook or something and every it never fails every time i have something air i'll get a bunch of them like who's your agent no 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 can you talk to him uh can i can, can we get together and pick your brain and i stopped doing it i stopped doing that because i realized 
not everybody was doing that mental work like I was doing because I, I looked at it like, no, this is who I am. This is how people see me. Even though I'm a nice person and I'm a good guy, this is how the world perceives me as a, I'm an effective bad guy for whatever reason, uh, much to the dismay of my mother. Right. You know, I'm, uh, I can play these things. And so I accepted that early on. And a lot of people, you're right, they don't want to accept that. So when I would talk to people, I would give them all this advice on how I did what I did, and then they would turn around and not do it. So I'm like, I'm not giving, I'm not going to waste my right. time anymore. It, it's such a joke, yeah. It's... And I, I do headshots on the side uh, for actors, um, uh, BradCarterPhoto.com, and uh, I I notice this a lot when I when I when actors come to me and 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 they like the fact that I'm a working actor. So they think I know something they don't know. And once I start talking to them about, you know, I don't care what you think you look like or what you think you can play or, or what your imagination tells you you can do. I don't give a shit what you did in your small town play five years ago as the lead. Hollywood is going to see you as one way until you can, you know, show them otherwise you need to play that and accept that stereotype. And if you can get stereotyped, it's awesome because now you found a niche and you can just go for those things and bam, right. bam, 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 and weed out all the crap that you're not going to get. You and I, we're not going to get Brad Pitt roles, right? right? I'm not going to get the leading sexy man role, all that good looking. I'm not going to get that. And I realized that early on. I could have fooled myself and been like, no, I'm a good looking guy. I can do that. No. You, you, because the guys who get the role are so good looking. Right. It's, it's not like normal. Like it's not, it's not like, you know. Florida or or a Kansas good looking. These guys right. are you sit there and you go as a guy you go holy crap that's right that guy is great looking that's right and that girl is great looking she's a bombshell you know and if that's your niche well then yeah you go out for the good looking guy stuff a good looking guy is not going to book the things that I book well it's an example just look at McConaughey McConaughey was doing all those those right. romantic comedies right. those fluff pieces until everyone said well this guy can act it, it, everyone, right. and he's a great looking guy and he's someone who actually said I don't want to be that well great, you know I think that I think that was a really crucial piece of uh, thinking on his part and probably his his team's part was like hey you can't play this I'm, I'm just I'm speculating here but I, my guess is they said you can't play this guy forever you're getting older you know you have a you know you have a body of work as this rom-com guy and you're sort of not respected as the deep actor that you can be and i think it was probably a calculated decision to be like let's do some major ass kicking work and put you back on top as an actor so that you can go into your old age as 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 right. this kind of actor instead of the aging uh sexy male that's no longer relevant and I think it was incredibly smart. I mean, look look at what it did for him. Oh yeah, it's crazy. So now, as you, as you ran into him in True Detective, so yeah. That, but you did you get that part because you were working and people said, "Hey, man, this guy has that look. He's right. perfect for it." Because you play you play a, a scumbag who's also crazy, right? Which and that's why I brought all that up. I is that's what led me eventually to True Detective was because when, you know when the time come when the time came. I was prepared for a role like that, you know, because I had been working at it in my classes, and I had been, I had been, you know, working at playing these kind of guys, and, you know, as far as the accent and stuff, you know, I had to work on that and figure out how I wanted to do that, but, um, you know, it was one of those times. Right, the right opportunity came when I was prepared, and uh, that's one. That's one of the things I learned is is success happens when opportunity meets preparation. It's a great phrase because it's true. And that I auditioned for that in like uh, October of 2012 and went in and I was up against all these other like what we would call names. And I was like, oh, great. I'm, I'm not going to get this. You know, there's no way. And went in and did it and um, left feeling really horrible about myself. I did two. I, I did. I changed my accent mid audition. <laughs> just it just. My brain shut off, and suddenly I was doing a totally different accent. Right. And um, uh, I was just beating myself up horribly. A friend of mine actually reminded me of that, that last night. I was beating myself up horribly about it and thought, well, I just threw this opportunity away because I knew who was going to be in it. And I had read the pilot, and I knew that it was going to be amazing. It was going to be on HBO. It's got to be. Right. Know? And so I was really upset. And then – I got a call back like a month later for it, which was a total surprise. And I went in and, and Carrie, the director, was there and Nick Pizzolatto, the writer, was there and did it again. And uh, 
and again, I walked out of there thinking, well, that was nice. You know, I made some made some friends. Maybe they'll put me in something someday. And uh, another month went by. I forgot all about it and got a call on my birthday on December 5th. Got a call that I had got that show, and which that, blew my mind. Oh, yeah. Blew my mind. And it's funny because Nick Nick's, uh, Nick told me uh, that I got invited to the table read uh, in January. And we filmed in February of 2013. But I got I got flown out to New Orleans, and which I had never been to, which was awesome. And uh, saw Nick, and he said, you know, there was never any – as soon as you walked in, there was never anybody else for the role. He's like, I don't care who I saw after that. Like, And he, and he told me, he's like, I saw a lot of big names, and we got thrown a lot of heat for to get a name and – you're who I wanted. And so it's just one of those testaments that like when you're when it's your time and you're right for the role, you're just right for the role. I mean, it's just it's well, a really weird thing in acting. You're just right for the role. Well, what was it like working with those guys? Because they're I mean, they're heavy hitters. Woody Harrelson's a great actor. Some people don't don't give him the credit. Like they think of him cheers. But Woody Harrelson is a great actor. He's a he's an amazing actor. I mean, he's one he's one of our all time A list actors. I, I don't think he quite gets the props he deserves. He doesn't. But, but he, if if you were to go to IMDb and just look at how much this man works, how constantly he works, and good projects and different genres. Right. Whether it's uh, whether it's an uh, A list movie you know uh, uh or a uh, or a or low budget sort of an indie film he does stuff based on what he thinks if he thinks it's a good project or not because he can do that i mean he's made let's face it, he's made enough money oh yeah he's and, i mean he made enough money off cheers yeah but I mean, he, he was settling residuals yeah, but he could just be coasting and right. be you know be but he's not he does great work i actually booked something else in louisiana with him um and I would have worked with him for a month on something called By Way of Helena, which is going to be an f- amazing Western. And uh, I couldn't do it because my Sons of Anarchy conflicted. And I wanted to finish that. So I was kind of sad about that. But hopefully we'll get to work together again. Sons of Anarchy must have been great. I mean, because Mark uh, Boone, Boone was on a few weeks ago. Oh, was he? And he's uh, he's intimidating because he's a nice guy. But just when you meet him, he's got that beard and he's got right. smells like cigarettes and he's got that voice. Oh, yeah. And he's got the glasses and you go... And it's so when you find out, you know, his background, you know, he's good friends with Buscemi and they yeah. do all stuff. But he's intimidating. And that's showing, when I posted that picture on Facebook, people were going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Sons of Anarchy. So that must have been great to be in a, because you're in two, like, very hip shows that have a very, uh, very precise audience. Right. That um, that was amazing, too. That My my last episode aired last week or a week ago. And um, I died. Got, or if you haven't seen it, sorry. Just spoiled it for you. But. You should be on top of that. Exactly. Um, uh, yeah, so I got to do three episodes on there, which I've been wanting to do one for years. You know, I, I almost got the role of an Irish, uh, one of the Irish bikers a few years ago, and and Peter O'Toole's son got that. I don't remember his name, but um, and then I have not been in for that show since, and so I finally got to go in there. And based on, you know, what's great is you get you get. I've worked a lot before True Detective, but you get one role where everybody in our industry saw this show you know it's different they didn't they didn't watch csi if you were on it last week they don't have time to watch a show like that you know but if but true detective came on and they all watched it right so directors casting directors producers every so now i'm walking in rooms and everybody's excited and everybody wants to talk about the show and everybody wants to talk about what a good job i did on it. it's like giving me a present Right. When I walk in, I mean it's it's night and day. Instead of them being like, "Well, you know, prove to me what you can do," you know, "What's your name again?" Instead, it's like they can't wait to talk about it, and it's like you're. I can't describe it, but it's like you're, you're a guest. It's you like got, you're you just, got carte blanche. You walk right. in, you're like, you're right. like, "Hey," they're like, "Oh wow!" It's like it's like when you go to a party and you hear like someone like if you, like none of my friends are really in the industry, but let's say you know like I had a few comics or younger comics come to my parties and this bigger comic came to my party when they walked in everyone's like oh you know if it's another comic they're like yeah whatever but if it's someone they know of it's the same right. it's the same attitude yeah and i mean so i'm i'm so grateful to that opportunity and to that experience and to those two guys for being you know for being as kind to me as they were they're both they're both top notch i can't say enough good things about them um they they're really two of the sweetest guys and made me very comfortable. We worked 17 hours straight right. uh both my episodes in one day and um it was a lot of hard work. I was in every take, so I was hoarse by the end of the day but trying to give my best so that, you know, they would have something to work off of. And it was uh you know, Woody was very complimentary 
read to me, you know, throughout the day and, and, and said really nice things. I mean, at first I was like, oh, he's just being a nice guy. He's a nice guy. But, you know, towards the end of the day, he was still doing that. And I was like, well, you know, that was because not everybody does that when you work. Right. Not oh, yeah. everybody is, is that kind and generous. But those two guys, the gravitas of them just being in the room elevates you to you better bring it or 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 what is the alternative. You know, you're going to crumble. Right. So you better bring it. So I just brought it to the best of my ability, and it, that was the first experience I've had where TV was filmed like a film, and it was um, there was a I, I was given a lot of leeway, and I was given a lot of improvisational um, room to do what I wanted with the role, and I'm so I'm grateful for that because now it's open it's opened the door really for a lot of other awesome things that have happened to me this year. See that's awesome. Now we have about ten minutes left. Yeah, and I want to talk to you about the. Uh, I saw you in the news when you're getting the operation. Now, now you you, you now does 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 that you had a brain operation? You, it's a yeah. central tremor. Is that what it is? Yeah, essential tremor, and uh, it's it's just it's a involuntary shaking of the extremities, and uh, sometimes it can be in the neck or in the vocal cords. Catherine Hepburn uh, is famous for sounding okay. like this. And that's, it, okay, she had essential tremor, not Parkinson's. And, uh, you know, so for all I know, I'm headed that way. Well, I'm, there's already a little bit of a shake in my voice. So, How did you find out you had it? Uh, well, my hand started shaking in 2006. Uh, my, my thumb, actually, just slightly. And, I'm, you know, I'm good with my hands. I've been finger-picking guitar since eighth grade. And, um, you know, I'm an artist. And, you know, you know your hands. And something wasn't right with them. And uh, they got shakier and shakier as the years progressed. And I kept thinking uh, something, you know, I'll take the right supplement or I'll, I'll, you know, something, I'll get to the bottom of this and it'll be fine. And I kind of put guitar on the back burner. You know, I was, I was playing again here with a girl and we were writing songs and still with the dream of making a record. And that's always been something I wanted to do. And, but more and more, my hands were getting away from me, especially my right hand. And it got to where... Uh, in 2011, I stopped play. I, I went and I played live at a show, and I said, "Oh, I'm never going to play again." I'm, I, I'm, I was too embarrassed because it m looked like I was nervous, and I'm not. I've played for, I've opened for Pat Benatar for you know thousands and thousands of people. I don't get nervous, but this made me look nervous. I was like, "Well, I guess I'm done," and I was also, you know, starting to struggle acting wise. You know, as I would be on set or even just auditioning, how do I hide this? And how do I not look like I'm nervous? Or, you know, so you start coming up with thing, reasons to, uh, you know, hide it however you can. And that, and psychologically what that does, so you know, I was depressed. I was, I was struggling with that, really struggling with, uh, with where's this going to lead to. I got misdiagnosed with Lyme disease. I took a lot of antibiotics, spent a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. And um, turns out I didn't have it. I, treated my, I got treated for about four years. Wow. For Lyme disease, which which does terrible things to your body, and uh, eventually, um, my doctor, uh, Doctor Hutchman at Hutchman Clinic in Reseda, he's a movement disorder specialist. Turns out he was my next door neighbor, and he said, "I think you have a central tremor." You know, I see it all the time, and so turns out that's all it was. You know, essential tremor, and so I took a lot of medications for about a year, tried everything, and nothing was working, and the condition was getting worse. And so I opted to have this brain surgery called deep brain stimulation, and it's where a uh, electrode is placed into the thalamus through the top of your skull right here, and then um, through electrical impulses, they, they run the wire down your neck and, and put a, a like a pacemaker, so I have a pacemaker in my chest. And it controls this thing. It's this incredible computer that can control 4,100 different functions of electricity. And what they do is after they – you have to be awake during the brain surgery so that you can participate and they can see what's going on. You, so, you, you know, I'm constantly working, like touching things, drawing. And that's why I took my guitar because I wanted to see it help because that was important to me. I, I want to see it work as I'm playing guitar. Now, I wonder if they'd ever seen that before, like someone coming up with no. an operation with a guitar. No, and that's why if you, if you just Google guy plays guitar during brain surgery um, – over 20 million Google uh, pages will pop up, you know, of, of however many, 20 choices a piece. Right. So I don't know what that equals math-wise, but it, it went viral because uh, they filmed, they, they Twittered it and put it on Vine, and they Vine the whole surgery live. So, so the, the, the 
the place that place that did it did that. Yeah, UCLA. Okay. And uh, so they and I said sure, and I said who's ever going to see it? But I thought well that will be. They asked me that morning. They're like, can we do that? And I was like, yeah. I was like, that'll be cool uh, for my parents to, in Georgia to be able to watch my surgery, right? And maybe it'll help my mom not be so worried. And and uh, so it was like a seven hour surgery, and uh, all of it was televised sort of on the computer and next thing you know it's been literally viewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of times uh it's on it's on millions and millions of websites and news and if i'm i promise if you look it up you'll find it and it's kind of weird to have that out there you know what were you playing on guitar just just playing just scales some of my whatever? own songs okay. and just just finger picking and uh this is the, uh, i brought the guitar that i had um it uh it's such a strange, unique guitar. It's ma- it was made just for me. Back when I thought I was still going to you know, perform live, I had this guitar made for me because I thought, well, I want a unique guitar. Right. And I think just the fact that this guitar looks so old, it's made out of a 1930s Winchester shotgun shell crate. And with all the space age technology behind it, it um, I think it caught people's imagination and went from there. And what's great about it is I get emails from people all over the world who thank me for sharing and who say, oh, my father had this, or my mother, or my dad had to retire, or, or I had to retire early, or, you know, uh, because uh, because it can get like this. It can get to where you can't okay. feed yourself. You can't, you know, about 30% of people with it will go on to be incapacitated in, in a way. Uh, just, doing, just doing things we take for granted. So that's why I went ahead and wanted to do it. And um, I never dreamed it would get famous or, or be seen by anyone besides doctors. But I'm, I'm really grateful because it's given me this amazing perspective. You know, the surgery gave, get, gives you a perspective. And by the way, that one didn't work the way we had planned, and I had to do it four months later again. Okay. Two, two brain surgeries last year. And bottom line is I'm, uh, you know, it did, the second one did work much better, and it's given me back my confidence, and it's given me, you know, it's not a cure. You know, I turn it on and off in the morning and at night, and but you can see, I mean, look at my hand. It's, it still shakes. Yeah. But normally it would be like this. Okay. And which is I'm illustrating a bad shake. He's, he's shaking. But it um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So it's it's nice to just hear from people all over the world just thanking me and asking me, you know, to sign things for them or whatever. Because like one kid wrote me, he's like, I always wanted to play guitar live, but my central tremor has made that an impossibility. But you give me hope. See, that's what's great. It's awesome. I mean, you. Oh, dude, it's so awesome. And and, and I never saw that coming. Oh, yeah, because you know, of course you don't. But, I mean, yeah. you're thinking like I saw you on the news with it. I remember yeah. seeing the news, and it's some of those things. And it's one of those stories where you sit there and you go, "You have to watch it just because it's it's interesting." And then just and of course, you, you think you know people who suffer from it. Of course, it gives them something that you know. Yeah, and a lot of them to. don't know about it. They didn't know that this option existed, and it's becoming more and more. Uh, um, uh, it's be- it's becoming wider spread in more hospitals. This procedure called deep brain stimulation, and so maybe it's available in their area, and maybe they can go look into it. You know, and and if if I've helped them in in any way, that makes me feel great. And so yeah, that that's yeah. Please, and if you look at my website, uh, uh, bradcarter.me, I have a section called my brain surgery. And because I get asked about it so much and um, I have a link, on, but I have some of the cooler pictures that were taken that day, but I also have a link to the, um, uh, the Today Show had me on. Okay. And so there's a link straight to that you can go to. And I want to mention before we go, we got time? Uh, we got about two minutes. Ascension. I'm on a show called Ascension. Uh, I have a big role on that. It's going to be on sci-fi. Okay. And I would love for everyone to go watch that because um, if it's received well, then we'll actually go on to make a, you know, a full season out of when it. When is that? It's on December 15th, 16th, and 17th. It's going to be a miniseries. Please watch it. That's sci-fi. It's called Ascension. Look up Ascension trailer online uh, on YouTube, and you'll find a lot of trailers with me in it. Great. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, what, now, what your website is what? BradCarter.me and BradCarterMusic.com. I'm making, an, I'm making a record. You can pre-order the record. Okay. And now are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at the Brad Carter. Do you tweet a lot? Uh, I try to. I, I'm trying to get better at it. 
All right, well, you get you got to because you, you have good stuff to say. You got a lot going on, and people follow that stuff, and they'll, they'll follow you. Yeah. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. It's great I'm, you can make it. Man. Thank you, man. Last time we made a switch because you had Sons of Anarchy, which is great. I always love when someone has to sit there and not come to my show because when they get work, it's awesome. That's right. I, I'm like, that's, I'd rather, it's not like I can't find an actor, but I love when it's like, oh, cool. I always tell my girlfriend, oh, cool, they got booked. And so then I can see on TV. So I want to thank you. Go to his website, people, bradcarter.me and the Brad Carter, no, Brad Carter Music. BradCarterMusic.com, at the Brad Carter on Twitter, and and um, uh, uh, actor Brad Carter on Facebook. All right, well, following people, also follow me at Cooper Talk on Twitter. Also go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 300 and, I have like 315 episodes up in there. Uh, you can send me an email at cooper at coopertalk.net. Also, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher, type in one word, one word, and that's Cooper Talk, and you can uh, find all my shows there. It's very easy. And if you have an Android phone or app, go to the Google Play Store. Type in Cooper Talk, and you can get my free app, and it has all my shows. You can listen to it on your phone. So I want to thank my guests. Check out Brad Carter's work. Also, please do tweet me at Cooper Talk. Follow me. I always tweet fun stuff. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. And don't remember, and don't forget, drink your water, take your vitamins, eat your vegetables. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, man.